pushing me over and welcome. <laughs> what am I doing? Oh, oh, to the people that are online, welcome. I know we had some problems earlier. Uh, it's fixed. I hope it's working great for you. Uh, there's a lot of good conversations you can have on the online community too, so be sure and do that back and forth. Okay, well, listen, it is great to be back. That's something I've had to say now in the last nine months about five, six times, you know, where I was gone for an extended period of time, and just, I'm not going to go into great detail on it because, frankly, I don't care about me that much, uh, and, but, you know, just so that everybody's on the same page, and it is important for the sermon, just real briefly, biggest roller coaster you could imagine for the last eight, nine months for me, and that is two brothers that died, one of them suddenly, but at least we had some sense of it, the other one quite suddenly, just out of the blue, uh, and then also married, did weddings for two different daughters, uh, and then uh, had a significant issue going on with my folks, uh, so, uh, you know, it's just been up and down and up and down the whole, whole year, coming back from the memorial for my older brother and really still being in shock and so on, got met at the door by, thank God, for Roger and John and the eldership that they do over the church, and they'd gone to the staff and worked everything out and said, here's a hole, take it, get away, you know, do what you got to do, catch your breath, take time to process, do what you got to do. And thank you for that, uh, just awesome. And thank you, staff, for filling in and doing everything that was necessary for, to have that happen. With Julie and I are both gone, that's a lot of, you know, stuff that's got to be covered from that. Uh, but thank you, too, to the congregation. Hey, can I do something? Can I go just a little higher on the house lights? I just am, I'm getting mostly the faces, but I love you, and I just like seeing you. So, uh, so the bottom line is thank you to you for just being who you are, you know what I mean, and understanding and all the graciousness towards us, but graciousness towards everything that happened and happens here. I really think that we're almost at that place to where it doesn't matter who's preaching anymore, does it? I mean, it's almost like just recently, particularly these last two times that I've had to be gone, it's almost like um, God is the one that's driving this car. I mean, completely, utterly, and fully. Now, that should be always true, right? But it just isn't. That's just not how things actually work, you know? And so it's not good. And But we, you know, my prayer all the time is, Lord, you're the head of this church. You do what you want to do. We're your servants. Have us do whatever you want us to do. And the most, like I say, with the sermons, particularly since the beginning of the year, We've had so many good sermons from people in the congregation for so many years now. It's just, I would never go back to doing church differently than that. I just am such a believer in it, what it does in everybody. But the bottom line is, is you look at the sermon series that God has put together. That has not been planned by us. And that included now, what, maybe six to eight different people that have been peppering in with what God is doing. And, and just, just to, as an example, in these last three weeks, so, or four weeks, the week before I do this thing on, on you know, simple obedience, that's what God's been doing since the beginning of the year, and I did this thing about what happens if you don't move out, you know, that you miss things that could have maybe happened that you'll never know could have happened. So that was, I thought, a pretty good word and, and seemed to resonate with people. And then JJ comes in and... What a great sermon. I mean, what a fantastic sermon. She just, she talks about what's your yes. And she has strong scriptural foundations, but it's her. It's her life. And she's telling us from the word and from her life how God moves if we'll let him. 
if what we'll do is we'll be looking for where's the yes. God's moving, God's doing something, and saying yes to what he's doing. And then the next week, we get Christina up here and the Lou's online, Jonathan Michelle, and you get to see people who are just us, who just got a hold of this and started doing it, and now you get to see what this really does, and you're starting to see all of these all this fruit, I always liken really getting on God's train track as not being a dramatic shift in your life, except over time. And what happens is you, you hop from the track where you're the one that's on your track, and you hop over onto God's track, and for a little while, like a train track has to do, it parallels. But then it starts to bend away and bend away and bend away. And all of a sudden, one day, you're literally going exactly the opposite direction of where you would have gone on your own. And it is the best thing that you've ever done in your life, by far. We saw that probably even almost most remarkably with Roger, who got up here. And I, you know what, you know when I say he was the personification of the message, does that mean something to you? I mean, God gave him a message a year and a half ago a year and a half ago, and I felt like God said, the way that we know who's supposed to preach is, I don't ask him what are you gonna preach on and see if it works. We don't plan it out like that. What I do is I ask the Lord who's supposed to preach. And then I just say, you're preaching, what are you gonna preach on? And sure enough, a year and a half ago, God has started something that comes to fruition, and the fruition that it comes to blows me away because, uh, what are we doing here? What is that? Can you help me? Okay, never mind. I tell you again that unless you repent, you will perish too. How'd you like the first sermon that you ever preached in your life to have that as the, as the text? <laughs> Come on, that's horrible, right? I mean, that's ridiculous. But that's what God had started in him. And so where we were in Luke, we've been saying that God is discipling us the same way he did the disciples. And so sure enough, here's God having prepared for a year and a half Roger, to stand up here and be the very personification, the, the, the message that he had of what happens when you say yes. What's, you know, that God is doing something and he wants it to come to full fruit. And this is him coming to full fruit. So, I mean, thank you, God. <laughs> The way that he's discipling us, the way that he's taken the reins of this church, I really am at the place to where I don't care who's preaching anymore. It just seems like as long as we get the right person up here, God is going to do the next thing that he wants to do, and it's going to be amazing, right? So this is what's going on. I'm loving every part of it. Thank you, God, for it. I'm going to take now a part of what Roger said because it's the segue into our sermon. And the part that I'm going to take is, do you remember when Roger did the little Matrix clip? And he talked about getting instructions downloaded about how to fly a helicopter. Well, I want to say something. When he said that, this actually provoked something in me that I didn't really recognize about the whole Empowered series and my life and everything else. Here's what Roger's story was. He said, so I said yes to the sermon. And then, you know, I, I figured I found a three-hour block of time on a Saturday where I was going to work on it. Figured three hours was enough sat down, and instead of figuring out what the sermon was, I'm going to change his wording a little bit, I became a scribe for what he was giving me to say. God was telling him what to say. He was just a conduit. He was just, it's, it's kind of like, I know what it feels like, I'll talk about that in a moment, but it's kind of like doing everything you can to just keep up with what he's downloading. 
And so he was just doing that. And I, it, the funny part of it that I love was he gets about three hours in. That's how much time he'd given it. And God is still downloading things, and he really needs to go to the bathroom. And he says, I didn't want to go to the bathroom because I didn't want to lose that. <laughs> this incredible thing that was happening to me of God just downloading this thing. And so he did get, went to the bathroom and came back, and sure enough, God was still there. So, you know what I mean? And he downloaded more. And, and let's be clear, what God downloaded is what his sermon was. That's what it was. So when I, when I heard that, and Roger talking about it, it started to spark something. The first thing it was, the first thing I said to myself was, that's how my sermons are, every time. But I realized that that's not how they always were. That, I, I don't know, I've been preaching, I don't know, decades, long time. And, and when I first started preaching, it was always revelation. It's always been nothing but revelation. I'm always excited to preach because I feel like God revealed something that I can't wait to share. But what it was for, until about five, six years ago, I think, what it was was me, a lot of reading, a lot of research, I still do a lot of that, but a lot of reading, a lot of research, a lot of work, and then getting a revelation, and then getting another revelation, and getting another one, and then starting to put them together, and, and then all of a sudden realizing, okay, boom, there it is. But you see what I mean? It's putting it together. It's praying. It's working. It's doing all this kind of stuff. But about five, six years ago, I, would, I go out to pray, and I'm still studying and working and doing all the stuff I'm supposed to do. But honestly, I wish you could, I take my phone and I record as I'm praying. As God gives me things, I start just recording it. And you would listen to the recordings and you would go, well, that's the sermon. I mean, it's just me, it's just him downloading what it is and it's just me getting it down as quick as I can. And the order and everything is there. The whole kit and caboodle. And I got to thinking about that. And I got to thinking... I think that's what life is actually supposed to be like all the time. What was it that Jesus experienced that allowed him to do all those incredible things? What was he experiencing? How did he know who to heal? How did he know what to do, where to go? How did he know all this stuff? We ask that all the time, right? I'm supposed to be like Christ. I'm supposed to be conformed to his image. So I'd like to know how he knew what to do, what to say. Well, all of a sudden, I'm realizing he was just doing this download thing. In fact, let me put it another way for you. Many of you will recognize this because we've been working on it for a while. This is Reveal and that very important study that was done about how people grow in Christ. And this first stage here is exploring Christ. And that means that's, that's um, I believe in God, but I'm not so sure about Christ. This is somebody who doesn't really know Jesus yet, but they're exploring whether or not Jesus might be, right? Might be God and all that. And then you come to know Christ, and now you start growing Christ. I believe in Jesus. I'm working on what it means to get to know him. Okay? And then you get to the next one, which is close to Christ. I feel really close to Christ and depend on him daily for guidance. Now, I want to say something. I think that this is where the vast majority of people who have been Christians for a while are. And I want to say, what's the difference between that and Christ-centered? Because that's a challenge. I mean, if you're asking him for guidance and what should I be doing, Lord, and all that kind of stuff, right? What's, what is that to Christ's center? My relationship, Jesus' most important relationship in my life. I had something happen to me when I was in Venice when I first started ministering. This was way too long ago. My hair was a different color and everything. My pants size were a totally different size. But anyway, but I'm down in Venice and 
you know, when you step out and you say yes to God and you're ministering, there's this anointing that happens that's so amazing. I talk about it all the time. It is this downloading thing, but it's this incredible thing of God just being with you and, and blessing and so on. And, and, you know, I would walk into situations that were very difficult. Um, we had tons of drug problems down in Venice. I mean, you know, like, just, just as one of hundreds of examples, a guy who was a pilot for a major airline who was a heroin addict. You know, I mean, he comes walking in the door one day and says, I'm a heroin addict, and I fly for, you know, a major carrier. So, you know, these are tough things. And, and I, you know, you go into that situation, and God is there with you, and he gives you what to say and what to do, and it's incredible, it's wonderful, it's awesome. But after I'd been doing that for, I don't know, maybe nine months or maybe a year, something else started happening. And that was, I would walk into rooms and situations where God had been there before me. See, the other way, it was like God was with me and he would come into the situation, not that he hadn't been there, you know, but you catch the drift. It felt like as I came in, he was the one that was doing it. It was never me, but you get the drift. It was God was there when I got there kind of thing. Nobody's hearing anything other than God on that, right? Because if you are, you're not, I'm not saying it right. But what I mean is, is all of a sudden I started walking into rooms where what I would find was is God had been there before me. And he'd done everything, and I would just walk in, and he'd done everything. And I loved it so much that I took a little, uh, you know when you get those, those really small print things when you buy a piece of electronics? And I took this thing, and I cut it in half, and I wrote down in big scribbles, and it still sits in my Bible. And it says, look for the Holy Spirit to go before me. I started thinking of it as the difference between blessing and favor. That blessing was his presence, his anointing. Him blessing and moving, coming upon and moving through and doing this. But all of a sudden I began to see what his favor was. And I don't know if this is a proper theological designation. It's just the one that's useful for me. But I began to see for me that what his favor was is when he'd gone before me. He was still with me too. But he'd gone before me, and that was an entirely different life. That was, to put it now in the vernacular that, we're, that I think God's trying to disciple us all into, that was what Roger talked about. That's the life where he's just downloading. Yeah, sure, he's downloading when you're there too, but this is a whole nother level of him coming upon. When we, when we do this, I'm even seeing, we've been doing Empowered, this little graphic right here, for how long? The one I'm about to show, the Holy Spirit coming upon. Two and a half years, maybe, or maybe longer, maybe it's ten. But, but here's the Holy Spirit coming upon. And I've always thought of that coming upon and then going through. But I have to tell you, I'm appreciating it at a whole nother level now. And I hope you do, as you see this some more. I hope that what you start thinking is, what God wants to do is Download. And just pour out. He's just, he wants to do it all. And that's the difference between being close to Christ and Christ-centered. Close to Christ is you still have your life. The things that you're doing, you're asking God what to do in your life. Right? I have these choices, God. But here's what Christ-centered is. I don't have a life anymore. 
I don't have a job. I don't have anything. I have him. And whatever he's telling me to do is what I'm going to do. I'm his servant. I'm his slave. It doesn't matter. And anything that I'm supposed to do is what I'm going to do. And I have to say, that's what I mean by simple obedience. Simple obedience is quit caring about what it all means. Simple obedience is, is when you get his heart, do it. <laughs> right? Don't think about it. Just do it. I'm not saying don't be smart. I'm not saying don't be wise. I'm not saying don't be reasoned. You don't hear me saying that, I hope. But what I'm saying is, is I think that God is trying to teach us how to just be like Christ. Right? Where he can just at any time and any day for any reason download anything he wants. That's what those little stickers are. Those little things that we ask you to put by your door and pray about them. See it? This is what he's trying to do. And, and notice something. It wasn't me that figured that out. God has been teaching all of us something. And Roger's the one that got the next piece. Now, I actually thought that what Roger did last week was the capper. I went, how do you beat that? I mean, you know, God, what more does God have to say? Because watch what he did. See, he gives you every reason to understand what it is that he's asking for. He inspires you. He gives you stories like Christina and, and the Luz and JJ and Roger himself. He gives you all of this stuff. But there does come a time when we have to realize that there is this other part of God too. And the other part of God is, this is not a joke. This is not an option. He's working hard to get you to respond because repent or perish. Remember, the thing that I loved about what Roger pointed out about repent and perish is, it, here's, what, here's what I think it means. I think it means quit doing the bad things that you do or I'm going to judge you. You know what it meant in the passage as Roger pointed out last week? Here's what it meant. It means, because the next thing is the vineyard. What it means is, is be fruitful. And if you're not, as I preached four weeks ago, and as Roger preached last week, as God was teaching his disciples, if you're not being fruitful, then I'm going to cut you down and throw you away. Now that's serious. And I think that's serious in a way that's different than we normally think of it, right? Quit sinning, you'll be okay, you'll get to heaven. And this, this is, I'm not trying to do a performance works things here at all. What I'm trying to say is, is when you love God, you'll start to follow him. When you follow him, he'll take you into places where you will bear fruit. That's what this is. And if you're not, then there's this thing that goes, then what actually is happening? See? Do you get it? Do you, you see what I'm saying? So that's what is happening here. And I thought, like I say, with Roger getting to that place, I was like, now that you've done that, God. But you know what? Here's why that isn't the proper place to stop this. Because that would be us doing it out of fear. We've been inspired, but now we'd be doing it out of fear. And God isn't asking us to do the things that he wants us to do out of fear. There is a moment where in the beginning of wisdom is fear. There needs to be fear. Let's be clear. But the end of wisdom is not fear. It's intimacy. It's love. It's joy. It's thanksgiving. And what he wants to bring us to is not leave us in the, in the note of be afraid, therefore you do. It's know who I am. Who I'm making you to be. 
That's why I want you to do it. Right? It's serious. But he wants the one thing to linger. The other thing needs to be in there. But he wants the thing to linger, and that's what we're going to do today. Something that I believe is going to linger in us. And I want to say it, I want to say it this way. God is so good. Exceedingly, amazingly, abundantly, gloriously, fantastically, and overflowingly. God is so good. A lot of people in here don't know that. I'd say a majority of Christians don't actually know that. They have moments of it, but they're not living it every day. And so what I think God wants to show us today is, is how to live in this downloading God is glorious way all the time. All the time. And it turns out to be unbelievably simple. Like so obvious, it's like, don't. Right? So with that lengthy introduction, Andrew Hooskamp, you're up. God, I just thank you that we can gather here. And Lord, I just pray that you give Kurt the words to say that you will be downloading to him and through him into us. And God, I just also lift up your church in the Philippines. Amen. Lord, just strengthen and encourage them and just Amen. be at work with your spirit there. Amen. Great choice to have Andrew do that because this is you. And you're at that place in life. I'm, I'm speaking prophetically. I really believe. You're at that place in life to where you've, you've now experienced the easy choice. And now you have this other thing. And God would say to you, there's another one coming right here. And he wants you to make that even tougher choice. That one that takes, tougher isn't quite the right word, but it's the one that really goes and says, you got what it was, I showed you what it was, and now I want to know if you're in. And I know you. I know you're going to say yes. I'm in. And I think God's going to do the most extraordinary things with you. The things that you hoped and at a younger age that you didn't know. Because, you know, you hoped, but you didn't see maybe as much fruit as you thought. And so other choices got made and so on. I think he's maturing you to the point to where everything that you hoped for will come to pass. Now, you discern it if it, that's the Lord or not, but that's what I feel for you. Okay? Okay. I got to tell you the story about our trip. Because there's a part in it that's not so cool that I need you to hear, and it relates to everybody here. So let me just tell you the story as briefly as I can in order for you to feel the impact that I think God wants you to feel. When we got back, and they told, they, I th they had something different in mind. They had, me in, they had in mind me going to a cabin and doing nothing, and not even having Julie there. Now, if you know me, both of those were tough for me. Sitting in a cabin doing nothing is does not sound like heaven. It sounds like the other place, okay? And, and not being with Julie, you know, why would you want to live, right? I mean it, okay? So graciously, they said, whatever, you know? And, I, and what I said to them, and I knew it was a little, like, weird, 
But I, I felt like what the Lord spoke to my heart right then was cruise, go on a cruise. Now, I'm going to say something right now. We got to go on a cruise, and I want to make something very clear because I feel badly on one level about that. Here's the deal. A lot of people in life go through very, very, very difficult things, worse than I've gone through, and do not get to have time on a cruise to process it. Money, life, circumstances, a lot of people don't get to have that. And can I just say, having got to experience that, I pray, literally pray, that everybody in here get your version of what I got of this incredible thing that God let happen to me these last few weeks. Can I say that? Okay, again, it wouldn't, a cruise wouldn't be everybody's cup of tea, but what I'm saying is, is that whatever it was, that God would make the provision as he did for us. I pray that for you. So I'm asking you to sort of get over the fact that I got to go on a cruise, you know what I mean? And, and have that be a, like a, gee, I wish I was on a cruise. I'm under a lot of stress too, okay? Because then if you do that, you won't hear the thing I think God wants to say that is an experience for all of us. So here's what happened. I, this was about three weeks before is when you guys said go. And so I said, okay. And, and I looked around. I felt like cruise. I looked around. We didn't have enough money for it at all. The, there was some money that we'd been given before Christmas, before Jim died. We'd been given because somebody in the congregation said, I can just see the stress on you. And it's building and building and building. And you look tireder and tireder. And I really would love you to get away. And I'm going to make that. I'm gonna, I know finances are an issue, so I'm going to help make this possible. And they gave us a very generous gift. It was so appreciated. And we were planning on doing that over Christmas. And then this thing happened with my folks that knocked us out of that entirely and took us back into wonderful and godly and all that, but, you know, not rest. And so... So we had some, but not enough, and so we looked and tried to make something work and couldn't make anything work, so we totally threw that out the door, and we started looking for something else. But here's the cool thing. I didn't just settle on something. I didn't just, you know, I didn't just say, well, this is what we got, so this is what we should do, and, and say, that's going to work. I really was looking for what the Lord wanted. I figured he's the one that wanted me to do this, and what does he want? And I'd, I'd look, and we'd look, and it'd be kind of good, and, but it wouldn't really be God, and we'd both say it really wasn't God, so I just quit for a couple of days. And then I'd think about it again, what are we going to do? And, and then I'd try again something else, and then uh, that wouldn't work out. It wouldn't be God, and so we just wait a couple days. Well, that was going on, and I wasn't talking to a lot of people about it or anything. I wasn't, like, making it known and all this. But all of a sudden, I, I actually had a conversation with Roger, and he said, hey, I think the council wants to do something. And I thought that was just so loving and gracious, and I was really thankful. And then, on Wednesday night, I get a call from Carol, and she said, somebody has just given you some money to get away. And I don't even know if people knew about that at that point in time. I don't know if the person knew that we were going or not. Some did, a lot didn't. But the bottom line was, is all of a sudden, we had roughly what we needed, close enough, right? And so I, I went, praise God, it's about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I, we had a, I was looking at one of these discount sites, you know, that get the very last rooms that a ship is trying to sell. So they're selling at hugely depressed prices, regular, you know, like a quarter of what they would normally be. And, and so I was looking on one of those sites, and there's one that we'd identified way back when, and I went to see if it was still available, and it was. So I called him up. Julie wasn't there, but I called him up, and, uh, and he said, yeah, you can do it, and here's what's going to come. I went, geez, you know, we got that now. And so, okay, and I, but I, I couldn't book it because I hadn't talked to Julie yet. And so I asked him if he could hold it, and he said, we don't do that. And I said, well, I just can't, I, I wouldn't do this, you know, without Julie here. I wouldn't make that decision without her. And so he said, you know what, I'll do it. And so, right. So that's 
five o'clock now. At, we had a thing to do, and we got home probably 8, 39 o'clock. I go to the website to show Julie what this is and say, is this the Lord? And it's gone. It's not on the discounted website. We go to the big website. Thing is totally sold out. I'm like, well, you know, I, we were just a hold, so we probably, some, somebody bought the last one that was there, and so it's probably, that's it. Next morning, just in case, I call the guy up. I say, you know, it looks like it's not there anymore. And he said, he said, really? And he looked and he said, he said, I've never had this happen before, but he said, you literally got the last room on the ship. And so I took that as a confirmation. You know, I went, thank you, God. This is what we thought we were supposed to do. We now had the resources to do it. Okay, let's do it. Now, it's 10 days before we're supposed to fly to Miami, and, and, and I can't get an airline ticket. We, I can get in like two or three days beforehand, but I can't afford two or three days in Miami. So the one flight that we can find takes off at about 11.50-something at night and lands at like 7 o'clock in the morning, red eye, right? So, and the problem is, this is where this is important. The problem is there's no other way if that flight doesn't get there or if our luggage doesn't get there. If there's a mechanical malfunction and the flight can't go, if the weather's bad and the flight can't take off, or if our luggage doesn't make it on the flight, then we're toast. And at the, maybe we can hop on a little. There's a weird thing where they were at sea a whole lot at the beginning, which is what we really needed. But the bottom line, we couldn't have afforded to find a flight to get to where the next place was. So it would have been off. We would have lost the whole trip. So it's 10 days before, and all of a sudden I start worrying. Is there going to be a mechanical problem? I literally put in my daily reminders, check the weather to see if it's bad and try and figure something out if it's going to be bad that day. Now, anybody who lives in Seattle knows checking the weather to see if the weather's going to be what the weather's going to be two days from now is nonsense, right? You know what I mean? That's stupid. That's ridiculous. But I'm worried about this. I get so worried that about four or five days before the trip, I start asking people, would you please pray for us? Would you pray that the mechanical doesn't happen, the weather doesn't happen, that the luggage makes it so we have something to wear on the ship? You know what I mean? And I'm asking people to pray for me. And even as I'm doing it, I'm going, what the heck? I, you know me. I don't worry about things like that. I worry about some things, but not something like that. You know what I mean? I just don't fret like that. That's not me. And I'm really getting troubled by it, but it's getting worse and worse and worse. And finally, Saturday morning comes. We're supposed to take off that evening. Saturday morning, threefold. This is the part in the sermon where pull out your threefold card and fill that sucker out if you're not in one. Or not, don't fill out, but do the instructions. Okay? Work on this. God will meet you and he'll put you in one. But what happened in my threefold, we normally have four. That day it was just two, which was great because I really needed to process so Adam Blonsky was there, and I, and I get with him 7 o'clock in the morning, Saturday morning, and I just walk in and I say, I'm a mess. I'm like, God is doing this incredible thing for me, and I'm a wreck. I don't understand what the heck is going on. So we just started talking, praying, talking, trying to process, why am I feeling this way? Now, I am not proud of what I'm about to say, and I'm going to say it because I need you to hear it. And this is, well, all of a sudden as we're talking, Revelation, I didn't trust that God was going to allow a good thing to happen to me. If you know me, I'm the opposite of that. I think God is always trying to do exceedingly abundantly above what we can think or imagine. 
That's, I believe that. That's my life with him. That he's always doing something better. No matter what he does, it's always infinitely better than what you could have ever hoped for. And I'm sitting here freaking out about that God's not going to let a good thing happen to me. <laughs> I don't think it was because two brothers died. I, I really started going, why would I ever think something so stupid? Why would I think that way? I, to this day, I don't know why I was thinking that way, except maybe that it had to do with this. Because the next thing that God started talking to me about was, do you want to know how to ruin the best trip you could ever have in your life? You want to know the way to guarantee ruining it? Put so many unrealistic expectations on that trip that it can't possibly fulfill them. And what I was doing was I was saying, look, I've, I've got grief in my heart about Jim and Dave. I mean, things happen, and this is still months away from Dave and uh, pretty close to Jim still, but, you know, something will happen, and, you know, it'll be one of you. People who have had this know what I'm talking about. You just kind of disintegrate, you know? And, but, in, but in this setting, in church, with all the busyness and everything else, I do my best to let it happen, but there's a lot of stuff pressing in. So it happens and then it goes, and I'm thinking on a cruise, the thing is, I'm, here's, let's be clear about a cruise, nothing happens. <laughs> and the great thing about it is, nothing happens, but it seems like something is, okay? You put me in a cabin where I'm literally doing nothing, I'll go crazy. But you put me on a ship where the world is literally passing you by, and the saying that I have about it is, is that you're actually doing nothing, but it seems like you're doing something, which is perfect, <laughs> So I'm sitting there, and I'm, and I'm, you know, so I'm, all of a sudden I realize I've got all of this grief expectation on, that I've loaded it up with, and it's going to help me process all of this. And then the tiredness that I've been under, because it's been over a year since we had any vacation. When we leave here for a wedding or a memorial or something like that, that's not less work for us, it's more. And so there's tons of stress, and we hadn't had any time in over a year to where, so we were bone-tired. And so I've got all this expectation about this is going to rest me. You know, this time is going to take care of all that I've built up over the last, right? And that's stupid. But then, and this is important, you know, Julie and I really, really like each other. I, I use the word like over love because I think a lot of people love each other and don't like each other. And we like each other. But, you know, the way that our schedules are, she's here a lot late. And I shouldn't even talk about it because she'll get mad at me. But, but we don't see each other a lot during the week. You know, it's like maybe an hour in the evening late. And we're both tired. And frankly, that had been putting a fray in our relationship. The ends were frayed. We were fine, but the ends were getting frayed. So I got that on the trip. And I'm sitting here with Adam Lebonsky and all of a sudden I realize, oh my gosh, what I've done is, I've loaded that trip up with so much expectation, there's no possibility of it not being anything but disappointing. It can't possibly take care of all of this. This is stupid. But much more foundationally, much more deeply, do you realize what I'd done? Because what I saw was, I was putting my hope in a trip, not God. I was like, how stupid am I? God's my only hope. The things that I face, 
I could have a thousand trips back to back and it wouldn't take care of him. He's the only hope that I've got. I don't mean he's one of them. I mean he's my hope. He's my only hope. And I don't hope in anything else because to do so is an idol. It's to put your hope someplace it cannot fulfill and is going to disappoint. And who wants more disappointment in their life? So hope in him who is faithful so that you will have it realized in ways that are incredible. Right? This is, I had put my hope in a trip. Now as soon as I saw it, I went, that is stupid. And it's certainly not what I normally do. And I'm done with that. I don't care what happens. I don't care if we don't make it. I don't care if we don't have any clothes. I don't care, I don't care anything. I realize I said that awkwardly in one moment, but... <laughs> But you catch a drift. I just went, I don't care if we get there. I don't care anything. I know God has something good for me, has the best thing for me, has the thing that I actually need despite what I think I need. I know God has what I need. And as soon as I did that, I just went into total peace. Just immediately. All of the fear, all the worry, all the, all just gone. Right? And I was just at peace. And let me tell you, 14 days Back to back to back that are probably the best 14 days I've ever had in my life. I got to process pain. I got rested. But perhaps best of all, Julie and I just got to be one again. We just laughed so much. We woke up laughing about how little we were doing. Here's, here was our rule on a trip. If you ever say to yourself, I should, I should read this. I, now listen, I should go for a jacuzzi. <laughs> right? If you ever said, I should, don't. Because what are our lives filled with? Should, 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 should. And let's be clear, you should. So you should. But this was not that moment. This was the still waters and green pastures moment. This was the trust God, walk away from it, enjoy his creation. Don't do anything like that. Just, now, I know that we should do a whole lot of things, but I have this thought in my head all of a sudden from being able to do that for 14 days. That's actually the life that God intended. There's a lot of shoulds that we do that aren't actually what we should do. There's a lot of things that we don't do that are the things that we would if we just had more energy because we didn't do the things that we should have done, thinking that we should. You know, it's amazing. I can say sentences like that and anybody understands them at all. <laughs> right? But they're true, aren't they? And this incredible thing happened where, you know, I mean, oh, I, I just have to tell you, I, I come back and I have this feeling of the reason why life isn't like this all the time is because I am woefully not obedient. Despite the fact that I've been talking about it for six months, despite the fact that I think I'm Christ-centered, the fact of the matter is we are all so far from actually being like Jesus, actually just trusting him, actually just doing whatever he says, and that's it. We just don't do that. And it kills us. It puts us into the world that's trying to kill us. Right? So, long story. I hope it ministered to you, and I'm not done with the sermon, so don't get too excited. 
But I want to show you, remember what, remember what we've been saying. In the first half of Luke, what the Lord did was is that he showed the disciples what life and God was all about. And in the second half, he said, now go out and start doing it. Now, that's what we've been doing. That's, that's Roger stepping up and being fruitful. That's Christina and the Luz. That's JJ. That's many people in here. Uh, from JJ's sermon, I got so many people who said they signed up for something because they realized I'm not saying yes, and I need to say yes. So really cool, right? But what I'm saying is, is that, now watch this, is that God is taking us through Luke that Luke is the recording of how God discipled his disciples. Luke is God laying out for us the discipleship process. And that anybody who wants to be discipled merely and only needs to go through Luke and be discipled by him the same way he discipled the disciples. That's what we're doing here. So watch where we are in Luke today. And as I read this to you, I want you to think about this concept that I've just given you. That, there's, that, that this thing that happens, Jesus is done talking, okay? What's happened is he sent them out to minister, and then the next thing that happens is when they come back, he says, now don't get puffed up in this. Don't become like those Pharisees. Don't get all puffed up in religious stuff. And then he starts talking about, all I want you to do is be fruitful. This is what we've been doing since the beginning of the year. All I want you to do is be obedient, be fruitful. There's so much fruit out there. And then he gets to the place where, as we said with Roger, and be careful, if you're not fruitful, I'm gonna cut you down. In the sermon that I gave four weeks ago, he said, I'm going to cut you up into little pieces and throw you out. Okay? So, right? But again, remember, God doesn't want that to be the thing that resonates in our ear. So something happens, and then he says something, and I'm going to read to you what happened, and I want you to then tell me what's he trying to tell the disciples, meaning what's he trying to tell us. See that? So when I read this, I want you to be thinking, What's he trying to tell us in terms of where he's got us on our journey? Here we go. On Sabbath day, as Jesus was teaching in a synagogue, he saw a woman who'd been crippled by an evil spirit. She'd been bent double for 18 years and was unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Dear woman, you are healed of your sickness. Then he touched her and instantly she could stand straight. How she praised God. Now, unbelievably... But the leader in charge of the synagogue was indignant that Jesus had healed her on a Sabbath day. There are six days of the week for working, he said to the crowd. Come on those days to be healed, not on the Sabbath. Oh my gosh. But the Lord replied, you hypocrites, each of you works on the Sabbath. Don't you untie your ox or your donkey from its stall on the Sabbath and lead it out for water? This dear woman, a daughter of Abraham, has been held in bondage by Satan for 18 years. Isn't it right that she be released even on Sabbath? Now, I want you to do something right now. Seriously, a, a little interaction here, just short but little. I want you to do something. This is the next thing that happened. Why? What's he trying to teach the disciples? What's he trying to teach us? What's he trying to teach us? Think about it for just a second. Then I'm going to have a couple of people just yell it out. We're not going to do a mic, but I'm just going to have you yell it out. I'm looking not for a theological paragraph or essay. I'm looking for, you know, a sentence or four or five words. What's he trying to teach? What's the big thing? Well, I like that very much. I like it. Go ahead, Mike. 
I love it. Is that what you were going to say? Okay. I love that. Go ahead. Anybody else? Amen. Amen. Absolutely. Go ahead. What? I love it. I love it. Keep going. Go ahead, Rich. Amen. Amen. The Sabbath is the absolute key to this, but, but go ahead. I love it. That's, it's awesome. There's still something else. Go ahead. Oh, I love that. Go ahead. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, yeah. Now, now watch. I'm going to go ahead and go. Go ahead, Rick. And then we'll. Then I'll... Yes. Now, now watch. Watch what all of these. Watch. You take all of these things, and now watch what they actually. Again, put yourself in the shoes of a disciple. You've done miracles. You came home, you're feeling pretty good about this. God has said to you, don't be like those religious people who get all puffed up in this stuff, right? I don't want you to do that. What I do want you to do is just be simply obedient, fruitful. In fact, if you're not fruitful, you're not my disciple. You're not with me. Bad thing. But now what's he saying? What's he want lingering in their head? Look what he's going after. Let me just say it this way. Know who I am. Don't get in your mind that I'm the kind of God that will not let something good happen to you. Now watch. Sabbath is the key to it. Everybody's, everybody brought up Sabbath in various ways. Sabbath is the key to it. What is Sabbath about? Real simply, real easily. What kind of world did God create? Was it the kind that we experience now? Not even close, right? What he created was a world that didn't have work as a four-letter word. Yes, there was some tending of the garden, but there was abundant cornucopia provision for all, right? And relationship with him, and that was it. All the stuff that we do in the world, all the busyness, all the things that consume us, all the things that overpower us and overcome us, all of that stuff is not there. What it is is love, intimacy with God, and ample provision. That's what God intended. Now, we made a choice not to stay in that, so the world got corrupted, and so now, in order to get the world to bring forth the abundance that God put in it, it's going to take the sweat of your brow and work becomes a four-letter word. And so all of a sudden now we're having to marshal out of the earth what's there. And what God says in the Ten Commandments is, now watch, if a person doesn't keep Sabbath, kill him. He never says that with any of the Ten Commandments. Really, Sabbath is the one that would seem to be of the ten, the least one. But here's what he's trying to say. This world is trying to get over on you. This world in all of its fallenness, all of its corruption, all of its hardness is trying to get you bent over. This woman is the personification of this message. 
It's trying to weigh you down and weigh you down to where you don't think that God's ever going to do anything good for you. There isn't anything. There's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with God. There's something wrong with everything. And you're bent over and crippled by the weight of what this world is. And what he's saying is, even in a corrupted world, if you'll take a Sabbath every week, and every person should be taking a Sabbath, period. And you say, there's no way I can do that. And all I can tell you is if God told you to do it, you can. There's some way to do it. It's going to take faith. It's going to take something on your part to get it done. But if you'll do it, here's what he wants you to do on Sabbath. Not turn it into a religious thing like the Jewish guy did to where he couldn't understand the goodness that was in Sabbath. What he wants you to do is to realize, even in its corrupted state, how beautiful is this world? How abundant is it? Look at the provision of it. Look at the beauty of it. Look at the care that's in it. Look at the air that you breathe, the sun that shines. Look at this amazing thing that God has done. And he wants you to rejoice, to say, oh, I get it. God is good. He's not, yes, there's a judgment, but he's not the judge. He doesn't want us to linger and have left in our hearts that I'm going to judge you if you're not fruitful. That produces workers. He wants us to be left with this other idea, which is, if you get who I really am, you won't, you won't confuse me with the fallen world. You'll know that I am a very good God. And you'll be the kind of person that will not drag others down with you because you're bent over. You're the kind of person that will be able to raise up those who are bent over. You see it? That's why this healing of this woman is, as we've been saying, the personification of this, right? Um, a woman who had been crippled by an evil spirit, bent double for 18 years. This is exactly it. What does Jesus do on the Sabbath? He does exactly what he's trying to do on the Sabbath, to get us out of what's trying to crush us. And so he touched her and instantly she could stand straight. How she praised God. Now, the unbelievable part of the idiot who says he's indignant that they're healing on, this is a guy who doesn't have a clue about God, and he's the guy who's supposed to be bringing God to people. Which is why he says to him, you hypocrite. Let me change the wording, you idiot. Now, Jesus doesn't talk that way. But you see it? You're hurting people. You're violating it yourself, and you don't even know it, and you don't get anything, and you're missing the point entirely And the whole nine yards. Do you see it? So all of a sudden, now I've been asking the question, what was God trying to say to the disciples? What's he trying to say to us? I'm the kind of God that wants to heal you, to protect you, to provide for you, to set you free. I love you. I alone can do everything you will ever need. This is who I am. Am. And I'm using that I am capitalized because that's that most holy name of God, Yahweh, which the Hebrews took out the word as JJ talked about and I have too, where they took out the vowel point so that you couldn't pronounce it. And the name that we were supposed to be calling him, which was the most intimate name of all, to this day, and Justine does it, uh, I preached it a while back, but we really shouldn't be calling him God. God is, is a uh, Protestant, a, a um, God, God is the Christian way of keeping to something the Hebrews did that was bad. God did not mean his name to be unpronounceable. He meant it to be on the lips of every person all the time. Not in blasphemy, 
but in thanksgiving and praise and glory and thank right? In pra- singing his praises. He wanted his name to be spoken because what I am means is I'm here right now. Yes, I was yesterday and yes, I'll be tomorrow, but I'm here right now. And what I'm doing is I'm healing you and I'm protecting you and I'm providing for you and I'm setting you free. This is who I am. <laughs> and this is who he's trying to make the disciples understand that he is. See, he's told them, look, I really want you to bear fruit. But what does that mean to bear fruit? What does it mean? It means to take the exceedingly great thing that God is and spread it. The thing that you've discovered, the life, the living water that is now in you that you are so excited about and go out and spread it. Give it to people that it bring them life. That it take people that are burdened and bent and crippled and give them hope and straightness that they can stand up again and see who God is, what life is supposed to be. See it? Now this is so cool, and just to prove to you that this is really what he's doing, briefly, Jesus said, what's the kingdom of God like? How can I illustrate it? See, he had a miracle happen to the disciples after they'd heard this thing that Roger preached on. And, but then they saw something, and now he's trying to make them understand what they saw so that they interpret it, so they own it correctly. Here's who I am. What's the kingdom of God like? What am I like? I can, how can I illustrate it? A tiny little mustard seed a man plants in a garden. It grows and becomes a tree, and the birds make nests in its branches. This is a mustard seed. When you get that one kind of mustard and there's mustard seeds in it, that's a mustard seed. Look at how small it is. It's nothing. And this is one variety of mustard, but look at what it can grow up into. That little tiny thing, if you will let it, can grow up into you something that is so big and so broad that the birds who are being scorched by the heat can come underneath it and find protection. If you will let God grow in you from the little thing that he's intuiting in you, that you have built into you, if you will respond to it, if you will feed it, if you'll nurture it, if you'll let it grow, it'll become so large that it'll absolutely protect you. You see it? Doesn't mean bad things won't happen. It means he'll be in the middle of it with you in a way that is unbelievable. This is what he's trying to do. And what he's saying is, is, look, a tiny seed that becomes a fruit, the bird make their nest. Look, he says, what else is the kingdom of God like? It's like the yeast that a woman uses in making bread. See what the image is here? He's saying, if you get a hold of that I am this little bitty thing that if you put into your life, I'll start to grow and I'll show you who I really am. If you'll let that idea start to infect you, start to go throughout you, start to, in, start to impregnate every cell in you, it'll start to rise you. It'll start to build you up. It's like a yeast that a woman uses in making bread. Even though she puts only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeates every part of the dough. As God says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. And this is being spoken to a people who have seen a lot of bad things happen. And he says, I know the plans that I have for you. I know what I want to have happen for you. I know what's in my heart because I know who I am. And I know what I'm trying to do and I need you to know what I'm trying to do. Has it been difficult? Absolutely. Is there glory in it? Absolutely. Working all things together for good. And so we're back to where we started when I said, what about the person that's in here and they say, Kurt, the problem is 
I've never really experienced that. I know you talk about how glorious God is because and you tell us these stories and other people get up here and tell us these stories, but I personally have never experienced those stories, so what do I have to spread? Watch something. In this story, all of us have prophesied that over somebody at some point in time, right? I know the plans that I have for you. They're plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Do look what it says, and this is not performance now. Performance is doing something to get something. But look at something that he says. You do have to enter into it. Watch this. In those days when you pray, well, what happens if you don't pray? In those days if you don't pray, then what happens? Is this, does that future and that good come? You know, you get into a sovereignty of God thing, but catch, you catch the drift of what I'm saying. Even more than that, if you look for me wholeheartedly, what happens if you don't look for him wholeheartedly? What happens if you live in your pain? If you live in your disappointment? If you live in your unforgiveness? What happens if you live in what's been happened, that happened to you that was so wrong? What happens when you live there? No, don't live there. Seek him wholeheartedly. If you do that, you will find me. I'll be found, says the Lord. I'll end, up, I'll end your captivity, restore your fortunes. I'll gather you out of the nations where I sent you, and I'll bring you home to your own land. So I promised you that if you hung in there with me, and thank you, it was a long sermon. I didn't think it was. But, but if you'll... If you'll if you'll get what, what, here's what I'm saying. If you have not experienced Roger's downloading, if you've not experienced this thing, if that is not your life, here's what I'm saying. Here's what we want. Well, God, you've got to download something to me, and then I'll see how incredible it is, and then I'll go tell everybody. That's not how it works. I'm not saying it never happens that way, but mostly how it works is this. I've heard of you with my ears. I need to enter into what you're saying now. In other words, I'm going to respond in faith. And so you, what you do is that you go out to somebody and you do minister to them. You talk to them. Yesterday morning, there's a guy that I see on a pretty regular basis, on a professional capacity. I saw him one time and he had his whole face bloodied up because he, and I found out at that point in time, this was some months ago, that he has a, a disease. Um, Parkinson's it is, but I thought it was MS, and he fell. And the problem is, is both of his jobs that he works are physical jobs. So this is threatening his livelihood and everything else. Well, I started praying for him. And I got back from the trip, and I saw him, and this thing was pretty much healed up, and I, I just said, I said, I'm really sorry to even be asking, but was it MS? What is it again? And he said, no, it's not MS, it's Parkinson. And then in the conversation, now I've talked with him many times, we actually know each other fairly well, but it's always been a more professional level, but he said something, and what he said was, he said, he said, I'm just doing everything I can. I'm praying, I'm taking the meds, I'm doing the protocols, I'm doing the exercises. Now, when I heard praying, of course, I didn't care. The other words didn't matter to me. You know what I mean? I heard prayer, and I went, oh, my gosh, he's open to prayer. And I thought to myself, I should pray for him. But it's a professional relationship, and I had an agenda and everything else, and I didn't. And so I walked, I, you know, I didn't just walk away right then. I, we talked and everything else, and I said, I'll continue to pray for you. And, but then I walked away, and I got just far enough to where I couldn't see him anymore. I went, what the heck am I doing? <laughs> How much more of an invitation could God have given me? You know what I mean? That's the billboard with the bright flashing signs, right? This guy just told me that he prays. 
and I've been praying for him. What am I doing here? I turned right around and went back and I say, you know, I'm sorry, and if you don't like this, it's okay, but, you know, and I won't do it, but would you mind? You know, you know me, I'm a pastor, I'd love to pray for you. And he, it was, he didn't say this, was almost like he was going, thought you'd never ask. <laughs> right? Right? Now that's the beginning of something. That prayer isn't the end of it. The prayer was incredible, and God met, and God did something. But that's the beginning of something. I'm telling you guys, if we were like Jesus, and we were looking for what the Lord was doing, we would find out that at a couple of times a day, at a minimum, there was an invitation being given to you. This is not something that happens once every six months. This is something that happens all the time. Why? Because that's what you actually are. You're a Christian. You're his instrument. You're being used by him to go to people that need him. He's using you to go there. A, it blesses you. B, it blesses them. Everybody gets blessed. He's trying to get his servants to go and help. And if you'll say yes, if you'll read your little sign when you're walking out your door and think about and be open to what you might do with me today, then you're going to find opportunities all the time. And guess what? They're not going to encompass your work. They're not going to do something that's going to get you fired. They're not going to do something that's going to make somebody think that you're an idiot. I'm not saying that'll never happen. Right? But for the most part, I have this assumption about people in Seattle that they're not Christians. You know what? That may be true in one level, but it turns out that most people in Seattle still think God's there and still pray when they get into trouble. So I have this assumption that people won't like it if I ask to pray for them. I need to, the, the truth is, I've prayed for several people now in this same setting, and, and every one of them has been like, I love this. <laughs> Thank you. And it's opened up a spiritual discussion about their walk and their life and Christ and their life and the whole thing. Right? This is what we do when we start becoming Christ-centered, meaning he's the one who's leading us in everything all the time. And that's where we're going. That's what God's trying to do with us. That's what simple obedience is about. And it is simply and nothing more in the end than this. God doesn't want us to just know him. He wants us to be like him. So Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, make us like you. This is the prayer that we pray together right now. And I'm asking you, if you don't mean this prayer, I need you to, I need you to count the cost and mean this prayer. And if you don't mean this prayer, don't pray it, but ask God why you can't pray it. So enter into this moment. And if you can pray it, then pray after me. But don't do it unless you mean it. Because you're going to ask God to do something that you might not be happy that he did. So I want you to ask him. In fact, I can almost tell you that he's going to do something that you're not going to like. Like Roger having to do a sermon. I want you to pray after me. Lord, just out loud. Lord, I'm asking you to make me into your image. You've already said that that's what you want. And now I'm saying I want it too. And Lord, I'm aware of the tower, the cost of the tower. I'm aware that it may mean doing some things that I'm not comfortable with. 
I'm asking you to overcome my reticence. I'm asking you to obliterate my fears. I'm asking you to cause me to do your will, to be your instrument. God, flow through me. God, go before me. God, walk me into what you want me in. And then open my eyes. Show me what I need to do. Download to me what to say. Download to me the boldness to say it. God, make me your instrument. Even when I don't want it. We're asking you to make us like you. Reach down and